Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers, leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this Deep Sales, and LinkedIn has built the first Deep Sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. There's going to be people that will refinance. And like we were touching on and discussing earlier, there's people in that 70% that feel locked in their equity mm-hmm. that are going to say, you know what, five, six, seven percent I can pencil that because I'm going to take out 300 grand and buy three more properties. And they're penciling at the current interest rate. There's going to be people that do that. And there's going to be freed up equity on a monthly basis from a budgeting standpoint that will go to either buying goods spending on services or investing, whether it be real estate and or the stock market or both. Mm -hmm. And that's going to fuel our economy. That is how our economy works. Oh yeah, what's going on guys? Welcome back to another episode of Money Moves. As always, your host, Matty A, my co-host, he's back. Back. Mr. Ryan Breedwell, what it do, brother? What's up, y'all? We cover all things stocks, real estate, investing, and personal finance to help you on your wealth building journey. If you are new here, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. All we ask, the price of admission. Just leave a review or share this with a friend, a family member if you enjoy any of the content that we share. If you are enlightened, if you are empowered, if you are ultimately leaving this episode a little bit wiser, a little bit smarter, hopefully a little bit wealthier, that's all we ask. And again, don't forget to take advantage of all the great stuff that we got available for you guys at the MillionaireMindcast.com store, as well as the free financial x-ray that Ryan and his amazing team will do for an entire financial portfolio review of your portfolio. Go through it with a fine-tooth comb. Make sure you're not getting overfeed. Make sure that you're aligned with your investing goals. And most importantly, they'll build out a plan that you can compare apples to apples side by side if there is any feedback that you guys feel could better serve the client. So again, that's free. You can take advantage of that by texting the word X-Ray to 844-447-1555. For my accredited investors, if you are not on my deals list, I offer out a couple unique and vetted deals each and every year to accredited investors only. And the way that you can get notified of those is by texting the word DEALS to 844-447-1555. First and foremost, welcome back, dude. How you doing? I'm feeling good. Feeling rested. Feeling blessed. Sid? (laughs) 
I, I thought that was gonna rhyme better when I said it in my head. Feeling blessed, feeling good. What was the highlight of the trip? Dude, I just walked off the resort most days. We went to Mexico, so you know how I do it. I sleep at the resort, maybe do one day at the pool, and then I was off meeting with the local people. It was awesome. I was eating on the shack every day. This dude had no shoes on, was cooking all my food. The jerk chicken was nuts. It was so good. Had a bunch of just great drinks, rum punches. The people there were probably some of the nicest people I've ever met. That's awesome. I know that's the crazy thing. The hospitality we had in Mexico, that was top notch. Yep. This was like 10 times that. It It was insane. Walking around in town, people would ask if you needed help getting anywhere. Just local people. Everybody gave, everybody had fruit. They gave away fruit quite a bit. So yeah, it was really nice. It was a fun experience. I would highly recommend if you can get out there. I stayed at the Park Hyatt in the Four Seasons. I liked the Park Hyatt better. It was really fun. Had a great time with my wife. Made some good memories. Did some deep sea fishing. Nice. Did you catch anything? Oh, I did. Yeah, actually. I yeah. saw you caught, caught some barracuda. Nice. Caught a Spanish mackerel. A couple tiny little guys. But we had a really fun did time. Did they cook it up for you on... No, because we didn't catch the type of fish they'll let you take off there is like wahoo and mahi mahi and stuff like that. I didn't catch any of those, so they just kept everything. Catch and, catch and release? No, they keep. Oh, they eat no whole. Oh, the oh, they keep. the locals that drove us out on the boat. They kept it a little for a little fish uh, fry. That was part of their pay. <laughs> I got it. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. So they said the barracuda too can be a little poisonous. You had to know how to cook it up right. So got it. Well, it's good to have you back. Yeah, good and we got back. a great show for you guys today. Lots of earnings reports coming out. We'll get your take on that. We've got some updates on where our U.S. debt is at and how long is that actually sustainable based on the path that we are on. We've got some updates out of the real estate industry on mortgage delinquencies and foreclosures, the commercial real estate market. Big banks are starting to make a little bit of a shift. Is there anything to read between the lines on that? We've got a lot of stuff that we will be digging in and getting Mr. Breedwell's take on today. Mm. So with that being said, first and foremost, you get back, you jump right into your email, you jump right into the market reports, you jump right into getting a pulse back on everything that's going on right now. What was the first thing that you looked at and what was the overall sentiment based on what you were seeing? Market was definitely bleeding a little bit. Uh, S&P's down about 4 or 5% minus what's the moves today and yesterday. Today and yesterday in the market, excuse me. Yeah, so those would, would have recovered some of that. But market's just been choppy. We had earnings reports coming up. So people were positioning, not sure exactly what's going to do, selling off, getting prepared. But... The telltale sign is the VIX started pulling back and bond yields topped out at their highest level, but they did hit the ceiling and bounce off of it. We had started with Microsoft. That was a very good. Alphabet was good. They gave a little bit of a weak guidance. I'm going to have to listen to the transcript on the phone call later. Same with Microsoft as well. Snap gave good earnings. Coca-Cola, good. Visa, good. So I think what's going to probably happen is that we're going to have a retracement back up. We may recover all of that, if not more. And I think we might have a momentum potentially to be built in or a little bit enough, excuse me, enough of a catalyst to push us through into the next phase, which is holiday season. And we have a Santa Claus rally coming up potentially. Meeting is in eight days. Yep. That's going to be influential what's going to happen there. 
They're going to give guidance about what's going to happen moving forward. What are you guys looking at on that front? Because I know, what was it? Last week, Jerome Powell came out and basically said, the financial path that we are on is unsustainable. We've got the wars, obviously, that are picking up steam and momentum. Mm -hmm. Yellen is saying we can fund both of them. Now China's starting to make some interesting moves on the chessboard that could potentially foreshadow another conflict between China and Taiwan. Obviously, we know we're going to get involved in that. So are, is there any concerns around what's going on with the war right now, our government spending, our debt, and ultimately how that ties into the markets as a whole? I'm back there. Yeah. Uh, the debt being as high as it is and going up as fast as it is something to keep an eye on and is not necessarily a short-term concern, but needs to be addressed and, and taken care of. And I'm sure it will be after the next election. What if it doesn't end up being a Republican in there? I still think they'll figure out a way to kick that can. You think so? Yep. And um, based on what the path we're on right now, what did you said? It was probably four to five years we could keep on this. But it would, the farther, you have to remember, it's, it's like when you have a very acute angle and you take a very small turn with it, the farther it goes out, the harder it is to get back to that trend line. And so that would be the, the pain, the pull is harder and harder. It is day by day, but really month or quarter by quarter that goes by and that just is left unattended. It's a gnarlier and gnarlier bush to, to peel back. So that's something we would definitely want to keep our eye on. It's not out of control. It is out of control, bro. I was like, that it's not out of, feels it's like not, it's out of it's control. Not, it's not unmanageable. It's just you have to remember, the more that we have to service our debt, the less we can spend money elsewhere. And it's not to the point where we're having to cut back yet, but in a couple of years it would be. And then they're going to get the money from somewhere and it's going to have to be serviced. So it's better to deal with it now. Cutting interest rates is going to have a huge help on that because profitability of the movement of money is profitable for the Treasury Department. That'll stabilize U.S. treasuries. More of them will get purchased internationally. That'll be very good. And what was the other couple things you asked there? Just in terms of, one, can we continue to fund all of these wars, remain on the egregious spending that the government has ultimately been on that path, right? With Jerome Powell saying, this is unsustainable. And does that foreshadow anything the Fed is planning on doing? Or how does it get back in line with what feels sustainable to the Fed? So, um, theoretically, yeah, we could support Ukraine and Israel for as long as we needed to. Likely what would happen in Israel is one of the parties would become bankrupt or run out of money far before Russia would. Some sort of armistice or, tr or truce or something is going to happen in Ukraine or Russia because I, I don't see Russia letting Ukraine beat them even though they are being beat largely on the front there. But I also don't see Ukraine losing or the United States letting Ukraine lose. What's going on in Israel and the Gaza Strip right now, there's not really a great answer there. There's not really a great answer on the other one either. Ukraine's not some wonderful, magical country that is awesome. Neither is Israel. Both of them are dealing with a similar situation. It's the enemy of my enemy is my friend type deal. We're much closer with Israel than we are with Ukraine, but we don't like Russia for sure. And so that was a way to, I feel like a proxy to see what Russia has for our U.S. forces while also supporting an opposing force. Because ultimately, if we didn't do something, I, there wasn't going to be enough 
it might have escalated into a world war because there would have been too many nations there getting involved at a level that would have made Russia have to react. Moving on to the Fed, it's done with their rate hiking no matter what saber they rattle. It's as clear as day, 99.7% chance of a pause at the next meeting. There's now a 10% chance of a cut at the March meeting and a 37% chance of a cut at the May meeting. That's right now. Last time we talked, it was 0.3 or 1.3, excuse me. So that's how much it's jumped in just two weeks. Yep. I feel like that's going to keep moving closer and closer. I put out on my Twitter the other day, what happens when they cut interest rates faster than they're indicating to you. And the people that were and are being patient, staying invested, putting money in their investment accounts, letting their accounts do what they need to do, which is fluctuate. Those are the people that are going to be rewarded, especially those that are holding bonds. Bonds are going to appreciate heavily when interest rates are cut. And I feel good and bad for real estate investors. As far as I feel good because it's going to, money's going to get cheaper, but I feel bad for people who think that it's going to get back to where it was because it's not. And a lot of people. I had somebody asked me the other day, do you think rates will ever get back to, what was it, three and a half, four percent? That's when, but that's when the Fed rate is at zero to a quarter. Exactly. And I said, I don't think anytime soon. We might get in the, the five to, to six range again in the next few years. But I saw per Goldman Sachs today, which I don't agree with this, but they said mortgage rates will fall just under 7% at the end of 2024. And that obviously is going to keep the real estate market still moving relatively slow based on some of the other stuff we'll discuss later in the show. But do you think we'll get back in that three no. to four range? No. No, I don't. Ever? Uh, never say never. Yeah, it would be no. it would, something... But, to get back there, it's going to take like a financial crisis. Yeah, yeah. So I, that, it's, it's just, we don't want that to happen. Right. And uh, it's crazy how spoiled people got in that process and forgot what got us to that level of cheap debt, right? There's a lot of people that started investing eight, nine, ten years ago and, you know, didn't make the moves maybe like you did and established themselves to still be successful through any interest rate environment. Mm-hmm. Um, they got lulled to sleep by how easy it was to make money with no cost of money. And that I was, I was like talking with my dad actually about this. And I was like, I feel bad for real estate investors because they're not going to be able to get as much real estate. Cost of money is going to be mm-hmm. five to 10 times more expensive. Yep. Everybody's going to want it. So there's not going to be a shortage of banks needing to give money out like there used to be. Yep. And there's a, there's still a shortage on inventory, which I think is going to take it. That's not going to go probably for probably two to three years for yes. us to get caught back up. Because what's going to have to happen is people are going to have to be in these new homes they just bought for three to five years before we get a selling cycle again. And that's in two years from now. And those think of how many of those people are in sub five percent mortgage. Well, trust in, me, in mortgages, right? Here, right? So right like they're going to be. And this is we were talking about this a little bit on the commercial real estate side too. Is a lot of people have equity, but. Yep. They're like handcuffed into But the they're handcuffed to their payment being so cheap that even if I go and access my equity and then I have to go and layer in debt on a new house or a new investment property at the rates that it's at today, I'm negative in my yield. So it doesn't make sense to move. So when you, got, when you layer in all of the order sell, so when you layer in the cost of capital and rates, you layer in inventory and what 
opportunities are out there that may fit your criteria or make sense, whether it's a personal residence or an investment property. And all of these other variables of the economy, that is going to be the reason why the velocity at which the real estate market got accustomed to moving at is no longer going to be that. No. And I mean, I'm talking to... For a long time, in my opinion. I agree. I'm talking to somebody today, a new um, potential client, and we were going over their plan because they're in this situation where they've done what they're at the point where cost of capital is handcuffing them. Yep. They mentioned the same thing you just said as far as we have two, three, almost $4 million in equity, but it's all in investment properties. So there's no way we're taking HELOC against it. The rates are 9% on massive loans. Yeah. And the loan level, we want to take <laughs> That's their 12 to 14%. Upside down arbitrage right there. Yeah, exactly. So they're like, and they're, so they're cash flowing nine to $1,100 a month of property. We're going to keep that. But long story short, they had heard a podcast of ours. Their plan is to essentially sell some properties, hold on to the assets, wait for opportunities with that money. They closed out some small old investment accounts. They're using that money plus a couple hundred thousand dollars of the properties they sold. They're going to put that into a policy because they have literally said... Smart. Yeah, because the guaranteed interest rate on the policy right now that we're ones we have, the ones that we I use. Mine, I pulled on at, at 295 or 3. There was three yours is 3. You can take a non... You can take a non-participating loan. So one you just service yourself at one and a quarter percent. Yeah. So you can do that option immediately, or you can take a loan right now at five percent. So there, there's a five percent guaranteed loan or a one point two five percent guaranteed loan. You have two options to take them. And so she was like, I would rather just pay myself back yep. and know I have money there working to where then I can because there's no origination cost. I think she was like, the origination is like thirteen grand. For, to originate the loan. Yeah, the cost of doing something and unlocking that equity in your home. Oh my gosh. Or unlocking that equity in your property. It's is, a lot. Is at a large expense right now. Yeah. And it's oftentimes it either makes sense to not do anything at all. Or when you look at a strategy like that, that makes a ton of sense, right? Yeah. And that was something she said, hey, is this possible? She's 60 years old. So it's something... Shout out to her for getting creative. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's where... I was having this conversation with one of my mentors earlier in the week, and it was, this is a season of investing. And you can say whether it's like what your gal is talking yeah, about in stocks or doing. real estate yeah. or, or whatever it may be, that creativity is going to win in a big way. Because yeah. it's most people that are just stuck in their little box and thinking that the only traditional way of doing it is by doing business inside kind of the, the matrix, the way that it's been done forever and the way majority of people are trained and thought and think yep. is the only way they can do it. And it's really, I'm in contract on two deals right now and both of them are with seller finance. I'm, if I had to go to a bank right now, it wouldn't make sense. I couldn't make the deal pencil. And Anthony was just listening to a call with me and one of my mentors um, he's got, you know, $20, $30 million in exchange money right now. And I got him connected with another guy that I was networking with that's a broker and has an off-market deal network around the country. And he was like, I sold a bunch of my properties to cash in on the equity, thinking that there was going to be great deals out. There aren't, as we have all come to find, right? It's like the, there's a stalemate in the market of it doesn't make sense for me to sell unless I have to. 
And some people were on the more offensive going, I want to sell so I can go and find all of these great opportunities where the distress is going to come out. Or they're like so used to it. They sold it. Okay, where's it at? And it's not anymore. And now he's going, if I have to layer in debt to buy some of these deals that have been compressed down and the market has normalized these cap rates at five and six and whatever percent cap rates they are, you're layering in seven and a half, eight percent debt on some of these things. You're Eats in a negative away. yield. Yeah. So either going to find a good opportunity or I'm actually just going to pay taxes and sit on the cash yeah. and reinvest when it actually does make sense when there are those market opportunities out there that do pencil and I'll make up my lost yield and the taxes that I had to pay in those bigger opportunities going forward. But damn, we didn't plan for this. Like this, I was not expecting to be sitting on $20 million in cash that I have to replace the world's value on. And and, yeah, the the rich people problems. But that being said, this is when you think about the amount of capital and the velocity at which it moves and there not being as many opportunities to place it in the capacity that there has been over the last decade, it really creates a very interesting dynamic in smart money markets, which ultimately, if we're all being honest here, smart money markets drive the majority of the world's economy. Amen. And it's this reworking of capital markets right now that I think still has a lot of working through to do. Yes. And I think the sticky thing, the elephant in the room is still just overall lagging inflation, Mm -hmm. data not being caught up to currents and people still working off of that. I I really am like telling people when we get a cut in interest rates, which is like less than six months away, in my opinion, uh, that is going to be... You think that's going to be the driver, the leading driver that kind of kicks everything else off? Yes. Because I think a lot of people are always going, well, when's the stock market going to take off again, right? Right after they and cut interest we're rates. talking about it's right after they Sometime cut Sometime between March and-, and May of next year is what the, what the data is pointing right now. God, I hope it would be sooner. Um, but that's what it's going to do. It's going to kick all those 30% of mortgages are over, you know, have been uh, originated in the past two years. There's going to be people that will refinance. And like we were touching on and discussing earlier, there's people in that 70% that feel locked in their equity mm-hmm. that are going to say, you know what, at five, six, seven percent 7%, I can make, I can pencil that because I'm going to take out 300 grand and buy three more properties. And they're penciling at the current interest rate. There's going to be people that do that. And there's going to be freed up equity on a monthly basis from a budgeting standpoint that will go to either buying goods, spending on services, or investing, whether it be real estate and or the stock market, or both. Mm -hmm. And that's going to fuel our economy. That is how our economy works. And banks are going to be more, more profitable. They're going to pass that profitability through to their shareholders via dividends. You're going to see treasury yields finally high enough to where it makes sense to own some fixed income even as a growth-focused investor, just for steady dividends. Mm -hmm. And real estate will finally moderate out. And I'm talking on the investment side because even fund-based real estate is really what got hit this year, the hardest. If you physically own it, that's not as bad as if you had it like syndicated or or via a mutual fund or ETF or REIT. 
those are really what got hit because the costs on the debt that was servicing those went a lot higher than yeah, was expected. Yeah, people just didn't plan for that. No. Once that all stabilizes, real estate, stock market, and then everything smooths out, it should be a fairly good 2024 if that materializes in that manner, which it should. We've had such a shitty, excuse my language, 12 to that maybe up to 24 months. That would be if we started in 2024. Meaning, yeah, if you bought the S&P 500, you're up 10%. That's great. Nobody really does that though. Yeah. People are diversified. They own individual companies. And, and so this is a time where it's like super hard to have 2020 hindsight, but you have to have also four, you have to think ahead of just your nose and know that what's around the corner. Yeah. When I look at my accounts and I see the growth in some of them, I'm like, man, I would love to see more growth. But at the same time, I know that in the grand scheme of things and the timeline, looking at it on a graph or a chart, staying invested that entire time will 100% pay off. And I think the housing market is a big backstop right now for the stock market as a whole as well. The fact that we're not seeing this slippage in home values, even though the velocity, just looking at some of the data, the big story for September was that existing home sales hit a new cycle low and new listings were down year over year. Then you go and look at kind of what Goldman Sachs had just put out, Morgan Stanley had just put out. They reversed course on the housing market, seeing that there's going to be more pain and challenges for home buyers. And yet, they're still stating home prices are going to appreciate for the next three years due to low inventory. If we look at what inventory is looking like right now, week over week up 1.4%, which we've been seeing a pretty decent increase in inventory over the last couple months. That being said, it's still down 40.7% compared to the same week in 2019, in, if so, we've been tracking and reporting this on every episode, it's up I think like ten percent since we started. I was going to say the highest I think was like a little over fifty percent. Yeah, so it's so it's, we're looking take, at a ten percent delta there, and it's still forty percent low. They're not going to be able to catch up when you look at housing permits and what's actually getting delivered to the marketplace. There's no way they're going to be able to catch up Especially anywhere with, close to that in that yeah. time frame. Especially with cost of capital being as high as it is. Exactly. And then when you look at what Goldman Sachs just put out, sustained higher mortgage rates will have their most pronounced impact in 2024 on housing turnover. Meaning there's just going to be a lot less volume of transactions happening. As a result, we expect the fewest annual existing home sales since the early 1990s. While vacancy rates remain in at historic lows, we expect housing starts to decline by 4% in 2024, reflecting sharply fewer multifamily starts. We expect only modest home price growth of 1.3% in 2024 as supply remains tight, but high interest rates weigh on affordability. I thought it was interesting. 64% of Americans would welcome a recession if it meant lower mortgage rates. Uh, That was per USA Today. We don't need it. We're just going to get rate cuts. And I think what will be... I still think there's... You and I were talking about this. I, You're much more optimistic than I am. And I love that about you because it brings my darkness on certain <laughs> aspects to, to the gray. That being said, I do think there, we're still in for some more pain in 2024, which I think will lead people to having to make some decisions that is ultimately what the Fed wants to see anyways. I, they want to see a little bit of pain, but I 
And I don't think we've we've seen enough of it yet for the Fed to feel like they can take their foot off the gas pedal completely. They pretty much said that though in the last meeting, which is why they said rates are high enough and restrictive enough. So we really don't need to do anything. So in other words, they didn't say something as flowery as that, but they did say something to that effect. I'm still not sold they won't rate hike one more time. I'm 100% they won't. I'm, I mean, between now and March, a lot could happen. So I, I, he, I, I know for sure through the end of the year, they won't. I agree with that. I don't think they will. I still think there's a lot that can happen in five months. I don't actually, I know they won't raise interest rates. Okay. I know they won't. It's because the data will not, they can't actually, because even if they want to, mm-hmm. they're bound by the data set they have to go off of. Yeah. They, they just can't. Yeah. So they're going to be bound the same thing that they were bound by when they said they had to raise interest rates, they're going to be bound by that to lower them. It's their literal directive, oath-driven directive. They are not going to be able to raise interest rates because the data points that drive them being able to make those decisions will not exist. Yeah. Plus, let me remind everybody what next year is. It's an election year. Yeah. And if you think the White House is going to allow them to raise interest rates on a position that they have, they could literally... Cut Jerome Powell tomorrow. False. Not going to happen. Yeah. 50% of Americans expect to cut their discretionary spending over the next 12 months, according to JP Morgan. I don't think that's... I what think are your thoughts on that? Speculative. I don't agree. I think the... Really? After Visa just reported 7% higher credit card usage worldwide, absolutely rolling into holiday season? Man, it's becoming easier and easier to call the BS. That's that's stupid. That's a stupid thing to say that people would slow their discretion when we're discretionary spending when we're rolling into the literal holidays that were created for discretionary spending. Are we? Is somebody hitting the the glass pipe behind the? They the might door? be. They might be kicking it with your boy Hunter. You're gonna see. You're gonna see grocery stores. Consumer discretionary is going to go be on fire through the end of the year because that's the areas that are going to be spent, if anything. I can see auto sales being lower because the loan rates are high. So that area will be affected. But you're going to see grocers do well. You're going to see travel and leisure do well. And you're going to see uh, retail sales do very well. That is indicative of why Microsoft, Amazon, Tomorrow likely Microsoft already, Amazon likely will report a beat on earnings. And you guys are going to see another 1% plus day in the stock market. What are your thoughts around, we're seeing more and more banks quietly laying off thousands of employees, five largest US banks in excluding JP Morgan Chase. have already eliminated a combined 20,000 positions this year and counting going forward. Because JP Morgan Chase is not a deposit-based bank. They are a asset. Well, manager. they're excluded from that list. I know, and I'm telling you why. Oh, why? Got it. The banks that are hurting are, are deposit-based banks. They are not paying yield on their deposits, so they're losing depositors. And ultimately, they don't need to pay, because they're losing depositors. They have to cut their staff because they ultimately don't need them. You don't need a bunch of staff to run a bank. When's the last time you went into a bank? I go into my local J.P. Morgan Chase. Your old school <laughs> private client. I'm just kidding. I go in there. Once they got the direct deposit on or the mobile deposit on my phone, okay. unless I have to wire something that my key fob, it's over 100000 that my key fob won't approve, I'm not going in there ever. 
But I go in to get big or it's two hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, so it's I don't have any million. reason to go in there. Yeah, and I, I think more and more people with the technology, I can do everything. There's a consolidation of the banking industry based on what technology has transformed it into. Yeah, you pretty much have a branch in your pocket. So I, I, I wasn't as confirmed or concerned about that. I was just curious on your thoughts of is that as a headline. Yeah, right? I think that's a. It's I a think, click. I think that's a trend. I, I was. I think what I said to you earlier is I think ten years ago. I guess we should go further back. 20 years ago, early 2000s. Yep. I think there was a lot more people in a branch and a lot more branches of banks, regional and and national, that existed. Forget the financial crisis that happened than exist today. People just can do... People prefer speed and effectiveness. So I don't think that... I think that you just made a great point. If I can do stuff from my phone... And not have to take time out of my day yeah, to go and do a branch. I got time for that. The only reason I go into a branch, honestly, we went on our trip. I went in there to get specific quantities of specific size bills. Yeah. That's like the only reason I go in. Or if I have a really big check, because I think what's the deposit? Mobile deposit is 100 grand. Yeah. If I depending have, on your what type of account you have. It's a blessed day when I have to go into the bank. Yeah, for that. exactly. But, it, but it's few and far between now, right? And I think that trend is going to continue to get slower and slower of... If I can do everything I need behind a computer screen or on my phone, I don't need that. I don't think that's a reflection of necessarily the, the banking industry's health by shutting down branches no. and consolidating office space and, and what people are using that narrative to run with, at least on the media side. If anything, thank God, because they're not putting their they're not sitting on their hands and saying, no, we're going to stick with the old way of doing things. We have to evolve and do things differently so that we can be a part of that new change. Yep. I think too. That just is another reminder for me how, not that I, yeah, I distrust the media. I, I, I just flat out do now because of so much of what they've said and why they do what they do and then how they flip and switch and ultimately how things play out and it, it not aligning, right? And one of the things that I've seen recently more and more of as well is mortgage delinquencies, foreclosures on the rise and some pretty big numbers next to percentages. When you look at what data set are we talking about, it's still extremely small. And this is why we always talk about it. Like you really got to be careful of who you follow, what you buy into, what you base your decisions off of, because those could be some either really good or really bad decisions. Yeah, you sent me the one, I think you DM'd me that it was auto delinquencies, right? Correct. And you said, the I think... I'll try to not directly quote, but it said to the effect of auto leasing loans at a high highest rate. And I'm like, what are they talking about? Because I sent you the link to the data set that tracks it all the way back to 2011. And this is the lowest it's been since 2017, 3.82%. It was as high as five and a quarter percent back in 2011. And the market was absolutely on a tear. Yep. So in effect, we could almost double where we're at right now and be in a normal range. And I just, you made it make a great point. A lot of mainstream media, most and really all of it, they're just out for clicks because the clicks sell advertisements and advertisements is revenue. And so you are a revenue generator when you read and, and solicit and share those stories. And the problem is people don't take the five, it took me five minutes to find the data point that completely said that was not a valid, that's not valid. It has no source. It doesn't, it's not supportive of current live data. 
that shows actually delinquencies are trending down. Yeah. They actually show 100% the opposite. They're trending down. And I love that you're, you brought that up in terms of just why it's important to just take a couple minutes to pause and stop and do some research before you go and either perpetuate misinformation or you make a decision based on bad information. Yeah, don't be the New York Times. Pat Bet David, yeah, that was wild. I love the content he puts out. But one of the things that he said is, this is by far the worst time for us to join the jump to conclusion community. We've all been a part of it at one point or another. This is by far the worst time for us to join the jump to conclusion community. COVID pandemic was the perfect case study to see how jumping to conclusions divided all of us. And then he said, the biggest key to decreasing the emotional reaction we're all having, and you just insert whatever topic, Israel and Hamas, COVID and the pandemic, Democrats, Republicans, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, whatever. You can implement this, I think, framework for anything that you're going to make a decision on and that's got you emotionally charged. And he said, the biggest key to decreasing the emotional reaction we're all having is to think twice before we jump to a conclusion and follow this. Do a bit more research, entertain the annoying questions that might trigger you, have respectful conversations with those you disagree with, realize that even people on your side too could be wrong or right, and lowering the tensions only benefits everyone. Asking yourself who wants to have high tensions, high and why, and what is their motivation behind that versus having logical, data-driven conversations. And I thought that was... That was solid, right? And just to stay somewhat skeptical of everything you read. Is this real? Is this headlining? Can I take this at face value? Whatever side it is, right? Yep. Because I think there's so many ways that people consume now and they don't double check. They don't do the resources. They don't pull back the layers of the onion. And whether that's financial advice, whether that's political advice, whether that's whatever, right? Is just take some time. These kind of things are not easy to avoid getting emotionally charged by. And yet a lot of people are making decisions about their life, their money, their business without actually doing their due diligence. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast. And trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So 
head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. It's, it's, I remember I read somebody the other day that was talking about when people were talking and everybody keeps screaming recession like in the stock market. And he was like, that's how I know it's not going to happen because too many people know about it. And if it was going to happen, not enough people would be in the know. Interesting. Because not enough people knew about 2008. Yep. Not enough people knew about the dot-com bust. Yep. Not enough people knew about current inflation problems. If this many people knew... And it, it, like, foreshadowing it. What about it would the, be too the, easy. But what about now, like, I think the bank contagion, right, and crisis, how quickly those deposits left the bank and the information flowed was because of technology. Back then, it's different, right? It, was, it wasn't because of technology. It was because of poor investment management decisions by the money manager. No, I know bank. that. I'm just saying less people knew about that because the technological landscape was different, right? I would argue that one of the reasons it happened was because the information spread that was not correct too quickly. Honestly, that bank could still be around and could have just been reorganized. True. Same with First Republic yeah, Bank. that's true. But they all got caught with their necks out just like everybody did with the credit default swaps and synthetic CD, CDOs in 2008. It's just, they weren't wrong for doing that. CDOs, synthetic securities, credit default swaps, they still exist. They're very much important, especially in the insurance world. Mm -hmm. But they're not like they used to be because people learned and now they're in the know. I'm There's too many people saying bad stuff will happen for bad stuff to be on the horizon. That's my opinion. Yeah. Because... I think that's a fair argument for sure. Yeah, anytime. because anytime something bad happens, it's the sky is clear and it's a sunny day. Yeah. When there's clouds out and there's blood in the streets and people are screaming, we're pretty much probably close to or at the reversal point. What do you think everybody is doing right now? The zig versus zag type of contrary mentality that Warren Buffett has. What do you think everybody is doing right now that you're not very much so interested in? And the what would the zag be to that? Buying money market funds and uh, treasury securities because they're at a 5% plus yield. Yeah, a lot of people are talking about that. And I would that. be buying. This is like historically from a data standpoint, from what's happened in the past and what's likely to happen in the future, best thing you could own for the long term is stock. Stocks are always the highest rate of return, yep. annualized rate of return long term over any asset, including real estate. They just don't give as much income on on their face value. So they take a longer time to catch up on the income value that you can get from real estate and tax benefits you can get from real estate. But the highest annualized rate of return you will ever make on anything ever is consistently buying quality stocks. Not Kathy Wood, not that. Household names that are going to be around that you can depend on and hopefully they are going to pay you while you hold them. Because it's going to take time to catch up to your real estate investments. So they better be rewarding you while you do so via dividends. And those dividends need to be reinvested. And if you do that for a long time, when you break the $100,000 mark, and then you break the million dollar mark, and then you break into the multi-million dollar mark, it's not sexy to make 20% on a $40,000 account. Yep. And you're not going to be like, man, I made eight grand. 
But it is a hell of a day when you make 20% on a million dollar account. Damn, you just made is. 200 grand. And you're getting paid $20,000 a year in dividends. That's not shitty. No. And that's something no, everybody should have with aspired nobody, to. Yeah, with no... You have a million dollars in real estate. You got renters. You got property tax. You got... There's stuff to do. Shit, that money's worked for you. Yeah. That will pay you now. That is what happens when you are patient and you play the game by the rules and figure out the rules that you like to play by. You play to win the game. Yes. If you ain't first, you're last. But you're only last if you make the move first. Remember that. I like that. I think that wraps up today's episode. If you guys got any thoughts and comments, be sure to shoot those in at 844-447-1555. MillionaireMindcast.com. We got the new store up and running for you guys. Some great stuff in there to help all of our entrepreneurs, wealth builders, business owners. And don't forget to take advantage of the free financial x-ray, connecting with Ryan and his amazing team, x-ray to 844-447-1555. My credit investors deals to that same phone number. And with that being said, I just want to say thank you for everybody that continues to support the show, engage with us, share this out with friends, family members, people you think can get value from it. This is why we do the show is Mm -hmm. just to continue to have a space that we can all come in, participate in a conversation that hopefully elevates us out of the noise, out of the fluff, out of a lot of the false stuff that is being talked about and just get real about talking about real shit going on with your money your lifestyle, your goals. And uh, we have a hell of a lot of fun doing it, don't we? Oh, yeah. We love it, guys. We really do appreciate you. You are our why on on Wednesdays. That's right. Uh, Yeah. Shout out to all y'all. Shout out to the success you've had, sharing that with us. Please share it with us more. We'd be happy to give you a shout out. And uh, looking forward to talking to you and engaging with y'all more. That being said, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your march to a million and beyond. We'll see you guys in next week's episode. Cheers. Peace. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Money Moves. Be sure to tune in next week for more news and updates. And if you got some value from today's show, all we ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so, you're going to get entered into win a $100 gift card. Also, don't forget to take advantage of Ryan's free financial x-ray on your investment portfolio. And to do so, all you have to do is text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. What we have found by offering this out is most people have no idea what they're being charged from a fee perspective or really in most cases overcharged and whether or not their current investment and financial plan is actually aligned with what they're trying to accomplish. And this is something that Ryan and his amazing team do for all of our listeners for free. So be sure to take them up on that. Again, that's x-ray, one word, 844-447-1555. Also, if you're an accredited investor and you're not on my deals list, be sure to text the word deals to 844-447-1555 to be notified of the private investment offerings my team and I put out and last Don't forget to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family at MillionaireMindcast.com. Whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, mastermind events, calculators, the Rich Life Planner for those looking to take their goal setting and productivity to the next level, we've got all kinds of great and valuable tools available at MillionaireMindcast.com. With that being said, that's all for this week. Until next week's episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your march to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friends.